So in one sense, emotions, you could make a point that they serve as like a guidance for our behavior, a warning signal. So if you're angry about something, it might be more ego related. If there's a threat to our ego, the way we perceive ourselves, others perceive us, I suppose you could make a point that one of them is that we don't sort of get much education on emotion. Um, certainly in experiences we're probably not really aware. So hi everyone, welcome to episode two of our series on all about honest emotions. Uh, I'm really excited today because I have a guest that um, I think is going to be really passionate about this topic and we're going to be exploring three emotions uh, that we didn't touch on in the previous episode and that's anger, sadness and love. Now anger is one of my own personal favorite emotions and we'll get into that a little bit later. So hi Jimmy uh, Petruzzi, would you like to introduce yourself to the guest? Yeah, hi Hannah. It's, uh, thank you for having me and hopefully the guests will uh, enjoy uh, this evening. My background is quite variable. I've sort of spent a long time studying human performance, um, sports performance. I studied many modalities uh, for many years. I've been very fortunate to study um, hypnosis for many years, NLP, CBT, mindfulness. Um, I've studied teacher, teacher training. I'm a lecturer as well. Uh, I've also studied um, psychology at postgraduate level, and I'm wrapping up a a master's degree now. I've been a lifelong learner in neuroscience, mental health. You'll say, when are you going to stop doing courses and learning? You're always doing them uh, all your life. But I'm a lifelong learner, so if I find something I really want to learn, I sort of pursue it. I'm not really one of these sort of people who uh, is too fussed about the titles. It's just more about what I want to learn. So people say to me, um, you're the most qualified person in your field. And I don't know if it's true. I don't even care. I just, I just want to learn. I keep going. So that's, that's where I'm at, really. And um, uh, I'm very fortunate. I've worked with one of the biggest sporting teams in the world. Um, I do radio broadcasts. You listen to this, they listen in. Now I'm with Salford at Salford City Radio, 94.4 FM. On Friday nights, we interview the world's best sports people, the world's best people in the field of psychology. You probably had some of the shows, some really, really huge guests. and. I'm very fortunate to get these guests because of my, uh, I'm having worked in the field for a long time and I've also got a few different roles, like I'm on the committee of the Northwest uh, VPS and I was organizing some events for them as well. And then now because of COVID, things have changed slightly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I personally did check Jimmy out on LinkedIn and I was like, wow, uh, I was quite amazed with that uh, yeah. profile. You definitely seem to be a man that wears many hats, which is amazing. It's something yeah. I wanted to do when I was a little kid. I always thought I'm going to grow up to be the superwoman who does like everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great to see that it can be done. Can you tell us a little bit about your passion for psychology? Um, where yeah, did that I mean, start? No, it started very young in life because for me, growing up in, uh, in a relatively challenging environment, um, you know, my background is, is you know, from I grew up in a very working class area of uh, Sydney and from migrant parents, and, and um, I didn't really, ironically, I wasn't really great academia at school. And, I sort of lost my way a little bit. I was looking for answers, Hannah. I was looking for answers to find out how I could improve my life. And I suppose 
I was working in a factory at 14, 15 um, to help make ends meet. I was trying to go to school too while doing that. And it was pretty tough, to be honest. And, and for me, I thought there's something more for me. I had aspirations to be a sports person through injury for one reason or the other. That didn't sort of materialise level. I wanted to, but it did help me to travel and see the world and believe in myself that I could learn. And, and, and I enrolled in a modular course, sports performance conditioning, which was based at Loughborough and Uni, the world famous. And that sort of got me going. I started to realise I, I could learn if I applied myself. And originally I was sort of fascinated by people who sort of defied the odds and I thought maybe I could sort of, you know, uh, do better than what I was doing. And I became fascinated in, in personal development and, and um, hypnosis was the big thing for me and I'll be at that point. But the journey sort of continued going forward. So I've been very fortunate. Yeah, um, that that's really interesting to hear. I think that it's quite inspiring to hear about stories of people who were not good at academics, but who can now yeah. just apply themselves because I'm, I'm actually one of those people as well. I hated school so yeah. much. And I actually love learning right now as well. Um, yes. I think there's a whole episode that could be done on the art of learning and Absolutely. how people can actually train their minds to learn. It's fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I never sort of imagined, you know, as, as an eight, 17, 18 year old, I would end up writing best selling books and work on radio and, you know, some really big radio shows over the years. And the one I'm doing hosting now is. Um, it's local, but it goes out around the world as well, and it's it's got a lot of traction. And I didn't think that was possible, and 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 you know, for me, sort of finding that there is possibility out there. Um, you can just be the best you can be, see that road takes you. So you know, many things, and sort of to coach at the highest level in sport, and to to being involved in some some great things. And I suppose if you told me that, um, that's sort of 16, 17 in school, some of the places I've studied around the world, I probably would have thought, well, I, I don't, you know, I doubt it very much. But then I started to believe in myself in my late teens, early 20s. And, and, and obviously, you know, many years have gone by since and we sort of keep going, yeah. Great stuff. I'm glad you started believing yourself at such a young age. It took me a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, life is like that, I suppose. You know, even now sometimes and I doubt myself in certain things to be truthfully honest but I think let's have a go and see what happens. So let's jump into um, the topics of emotions because uh, I think there's a lot we could talk about on your life Jimmy and I would love yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to have another interview with you just about yeah. your life it sounds fascinating but talking about emotions so today we wanted to discuss anger sadness and I wanted to discuss love as well um, so if you would like, we could start with anger. And I want to know yeah. a little bit about, like, where do you think this emotion comes from? From, from my point of view, my perspective from reading in the literature um, over, over years, and I would say anger for me, um, if we think primarily, um, so we think, well, we can raise to a threat, for example. So, for example, for me, anger, is useful in the sense that we get angry, for example, if something isn't right and we do something about it. So if there's an injustice in the world, then, then you get angry and that's fuel. So in one sense, emotions, you could make a point that they serve as like a guidance for our behaviour. 
a warning signal. So if you're angry about a certain situation, there's a reason for it. It might be based on your appraisal. So the way you perceive a situation could, you know, uh, have an impact on your anger. But equally could be implicit. Maybe subconsciously you sort of become aware of something and it reminds you of something else. But equally in saying that, it's almost like a call to action. Now, evolutionary, we don't have the same dangers we had when we first evolved as human beings. But I suppose you could argue, at this day and age, it might be more ego-related. If there's a threat to our ego, the way we perceive ourselves, others perceive us, then we might get angry. Um, so if there's, a, if there's an attack on someone's um, ego, then they may get angry because we want to project ourselves a certain way to the world. And if that gets sort of uh, attacked, then that could cause anger. So that's sort of in a nutshell, obviously, you know, time permitting, but that sort of gives the viewers uh, a bit of an idea. So, for example, injustice, you know, might be one reason we get angry. And so we kind of evolve and develop these sort of emotions. So it could be a good musician, need anger. Some great musicians, they get angry and they write good songs. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my friend Storm Riders metal band there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that a lot of what you said I can contextualize into my own life as well because I mentioned earlier that anger was is actually one of my favorite emotions. And I'll, yeah. just, I'll just tell you why that is. Um, I grew up with a lot of anger from a very young age. Yeah. And it was a very uncomfortable feeling to, to have in your life for a very long time. But when I actually made friends with my anger and realized where it was coming from, it was such a liberating experience to, to show that this anger was my friend all this time. It was telling me that things are not yeah. right and I need to fix them. Yes, that's a really healthy way, I think, at looking at things in terms of, you know, um, being, being more aware and, seeing it as like a call to action what's it telling me obviously there are other things that could cause the same sort of feelings so that maybe, maybe perhaps people have got you know could be a biological thing which is sort of you know not linked to an appraisal but that's obviously another story for another day and <laughs> remit, but yeah oh i've got stories about that <laughs> from my yeah, family oh gosh yeah no absolutely um yeah, I, th I think that that's really good to know that, you know, our, our I think emotions are like signals. And I think that this probably tie, ties in a lot to CBD practice as well. Um, yeah, I, I will see. Yeah, I mean, exactly. CBD, cognitive therapy. And so, you know, the, the ABC model, for example, so that's sort of linked um, to our thoughts and feelings. So, you know, we have the perception of something. Um, so, for example, how are you walking down the street? and you had a minor fallout with your friend two days earlier, and then you see your friend down the street, and they walk straight past you. And that could sort of cause a reaction. You might think, why are they ignoring me? Have they fallen out? And you could get angry if you sort of think that way, and that links to your behavior. You might send them a text, why did you ignore me for? Um, you physiological have an impact you might feel a bit sort of you know jittery and it has like a bit of a cycle um not always sequentially but you can see how our thoughts impact our feelings but if you reappraise it well maybe they were preoccupied maybe in covid days <laughs> they were sort of distancing so if you see it differently then you might sort of send my text are you okay did you see me? they might have seen you but you can't control that but if they didn't then so our appraisal of the situation is um yeah so do you think that the emotion of anger is one that is people struggle to express maybe in a healthy way? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see, you know, the world that we live in and, <laughs> and uh, absolutely. So people sort of, you know, um, they get angry and, and what they do as a result is the COVID straight up. They bottle it up. You bottle a fizzy pop-up, you shake it. All the time, they sort of uh, lash out. Certainly in sport, um, you know, you get a bad decision and you, you react and, 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 you know, the gap between impulse and action. So the idea is that if the referee gives a decision against you, what do you do? Um, you know, you get angry. I think anger is fine in sport. You channel it. Where it becomes a problem is if you lose cannon and you get sent off and, you know, and you sort of, you fight or, you, you know, you kick a player and then that becomes an issue. Coping strategies are really important. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing a whole episode of anger, so I'm going to be sharing a lot of stories about that yeah. in, in the coming episode. Um, yeah, but yeah. Do you think there's a reason why people are not able to channel their anger in a healthy way? I mean, it could be a number of factors. It's probably multifactorial, but I suppose you could make a point that one of them is that we don't sort of get much education on emotion. Um, certainly in experiences, we're probably not really aware um, of the functionality of, of emotions. So I think the teenagers, well, like when you think of teenagers, they're probably under the age of 25, the brain's more malleable, so the, the brain is not as developed, the frontal cortex. and so, we, so the teenager feels what the adult feels, but they can't sort of process it much as well. So I think it comes down to education, and that's the big thing, how we educate about emotions. What you're doing is great. Hopefully people see that and they realise that, you know, um, coping strategies is, is a big thing, but being aware is, you know, a big thing too. Yeah, um, from personal ex experience, self-awareness has been something that has changed my life um, amazingly. Yeah. So let's move on to the next emotion, sadness. Um, where do you think this stems from? Is it similar to anger? Yeah, I mean, it serves a purpose as well. And, and, and I think where sadness is concerned, so you could make a point that motivation. So, for example, it's telling you, well, it's a judgment, really in a sense that, okay, you, you, if you're in a situation where you feel sad, even a group of people, where you feel sad in the environment, if you're doing something that you feel sad, then it's telling you um, something again. So, you know, once again, it's, it's, it's more of a judgment, um, emotion, feeling, so motivation to change. If you're sad about something, if you're sad about the job you're in, then you might be motivated to sort of change. If you're sad about the um, situation you find yourself in, then, then, then you may change. Not to be confused with, obviously, um, you know, depression, which is completely different. Depression is obviously, um, there's many pathways to it and on the spectrum of treatment resistance to sub-threshold. That's completely different, not to be confused with that. Being sad is okay. Um, once again, it's, it's, it's healthy. Um, night needs day, day needs night. So it's telling us something. So, so it's being and having the ability to sort of understand what it's, what, what it's telling you. Um, what's, what's the communication um, unconsciously? But, yeah, I think from primal point of view, uh, it certainly serves as motivation, Hannah, for sure. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do animals feel sad? Yeah, I mean, there's been debate. People have debated for a long time about emotions and, and, um, and animals, and I think now there's enough research to say that they do feel, and we see it, we sort of see 
you know, um, for example, the classic case of the dog who sort of who sort of mopes um, if, if the owner isn't sort of well. And we see we do see obviously you know different different animals um, react differently, but there's enough evidence to suggest that they feel as well. Mm. Absolutely. So yeah, so it is kind of like a very primal instinct to to be absolutely. sad and very natural yeah, response. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And what role do you think sadness plays in our modern day world? In the modern day world, I think from my perspective, it's, it's motivation and, and judgment. So telling us that something may not be the way we want it to be or perceive it to be. Uh, motivation too, it sort of sparks this interaction. Um, so you might feel uh, sad. And as a result, we judge a situation and we sort of spark into some sort of action and change. So predominantly, I think, this is my perspective and others might beg to differ, um, I think that it serves us in a modern world in terms of how we make various choices in our life from, from social um, to professional uh, how we judge situations. So you might watch on TV, for example. So let me give you an example, Hannah, in, in sort of, so you think about, you watch TV and, and you see something that's happening in the world to someone that makes you sad. And you might say, well, actually, I, I want to donate some money. I want to help that person. So it kind of, it sparks as we judge the situation. This isn't right. This is not good. You feel sad. And as a result, you're not even motivated then to sort of to do what you can mm. to help that person. So does that sort of make sense? Yeah, no, that does. Um, I just wanted to like clarify when you say sadness serves as a judge a judgment. You talking about like we making judgments on the world ourselves and not other people making judgments on us. No, no, it can be a bit above, um, absolutely, but more more us really making that sort of judgment on you know the world and others and and the situation as we perceive it. Absolutely, our perception of the situation. So two people can see the same event. One sees it one way, one the other. Um, you know, one, one, you know, one, you know, we could watch a sports match, and one, one of us is sad because the team's <laughs> lost, and one of us is, is obviously happy. Uh, the team has won, so there might be a spectrum in between too. So, you know, obviously, if you, it's not a great deal you can do if your team loses and you're sad, and <laughs> maybe support a different team, but it's telling you something. That's for sure. Um, introspectively, but more to the point, you know, if you go into work and, and you're feeling sad uh, about the work that you're doing, for example, if you sort of, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, you've got friendships and you sort of feel sad, then it's almost like a, again, a call of action. You sort of making that judgment or you watch TV and you see, uh, you know, something really, really sad happening somewhere in the world and um, we, we sort of cast some judgment on that. And, and we're motivated to perhaps do do something. Mm. Yeah, and from from what you're saying, I'm kind of thinking that in a way, sadness shapes our reality as well. Yeah, I think they all do. I think all these all these feelings do absolutely behaviors. There there are there are parts of our behaviors absolutely. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm trying to just think about sadness examples from my own life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult to think of any right now. But yeah, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, you, you've been to Toastmasters, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and someone tells a story, say you go to a speaking group and someone tells a story, a sad story. 
that's happened in their life and, and people sort of engage in that and they go into like transference and they imagine being in it. So for example, someone talks about something sad that happened to their to their to their husband, their wife, their brother, their sister, their whatever, then we sort of we can relate to that to a point yeah. before we get engaged in that story and we sort of feel yeah um you know their experience so to speak and in a way um you know we listen to a story and and, and you know for example and that can sort of we watch a film and, and you know that sort of that has an element our appraisal of the situation um the way we perceive it uh, has an impact on how we feel but mm. the feeling will pass unless we keep focused on it then it sort of calcifies but that's another story for another day again <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I can definitely um, relate to that becoming a bit obsessed with a situation. <laughs> um, yeah, but like if you think about sadness in, well, on a personal level, let, let's say in your life, is it an emotion that you have become comfortable feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's never completely comfortable. And I'm not really one, people sort of like to use the term negative emotion. I think the only reason I've used that in the past is to, to, to illustrate the point. That I don't really see any emotion as being negative. I just think they are what they are. Um, you know, they are a guide, for want of a better word, um, to a, a path of behavior. But, yeah, there's been times, um, absolutely. So in life we go through things, we go through... We go through um, breakups, we go through bereavements, we go through um, job losses. We go through many things, but equally, it's how we respond to that. Um, it's a setback, for example. So you could, you know, you, you could be in a job for a number of years, and, and for no fault of your own, um, you've been really competent, uh, and you really like the job, and you're happy there. And they say, "Well, we can't keep you no more." You might feel anger, you might feel a cluster of emotions, but one might be sadness as well. So you're really sad to go. But then, what do you do afterwards? You stay there, and you decide, you know what? Well, actually, you know what? Um, this is telling me that maybe I lost a job in the past, and I found a better pathway for me. So maybe it's maybe it's sort of the push I needed. Mm. To start my business, maybe it's the push I needed to, to travel the world. So that's the sort of key. Not that I'm saying we suppress the emotion, um, but it could be that launching pad to action. So certainly my life for sure. Yeah, no, those, those are good points. And I think that's a good segue to go on to the next emotion. So a whole industry has been created on the emotion of love. It seems yeah. to be a very commercialized emotion. And it also seems to be a, a very like something that everyone is searching for all the time, even though I think that in most of our lives, we do have love in some form or the other, but we're searching for a certain kind of love. Do, yeah. do, do you know where the sense of love comes from? Yeah. Well, the academics watching this will probably say love is debatable. It's an emotion. It might be more of a drive. When I say a drive, Hannah, it's more like, say, for example, um, so hunger is not an emotion. This is a very loose example. So when you're hungry, it's not an emotion, but you experience emotions looking for food. So, for example, you might get hang. <laughs> is it hangry? Some people say if you're waiting for your food for too long. But in your search for food, you might feel sad. You can't find it. You might feel angry um, that someone else has eaten it. Um, somewhere from a primal point of view. So it's a drive. Um, and you could make a point that love is a drive 
in the sense that it's, it's, it, love encompasses many feelings, uh, euphoria, um, you know, joy, and, and that sort of stuff. So, but for simplicity, we'll sort of you know keep it as as an emotion, but but more of a drive. But anyway, more than the point. I would sort of you know clear that up because you probably get some people emailing in saying, "What well, is it? Drives an emotion?" But there you go. But you know, and let's not get hung up about it as you do, as people do. Um, the answer to your question would be for the species to survive. Now, there's love, different types of love that we've got. You know, people got love for their children, people got love for their siblings, people got love for their um, their partner. But for the species to survive, there's two key elements. One, falling in love, and love's just a word to give it meaning. But the point being, you sort of have that feeling, that drive from procreation point of view. Oh, we wouldn't have got this far if there's no sort of you know um, people don't don't feel for each other. They feel a sense of attraction for someone else. Uh, and that's what leads to procreation and, and children. But then obviously the child's survive. Um, then the mother produces oxytocin, a chemical, bonds the baby and mum together. And that's at its height for two years, two years or so. It starts with oxytocin. This is in a normal functioning biochemical environment, mother. Um, but the point being is, say, two, two, three years, it starts to wear off. And... In the beginning, the child can do no wrong. It can throw up all over the mother, it can wake her up in the morning, whatever, she's going to run to the baby. But after two or three years, then all of a sudden the baby does something wrong and it's like, well, you know, you kick the TV on the floor, you can't do that. It's a bit of a shock for the system for the child. But by then the bond is there. So, okay, the answer to your question is, I, I guess it serves different. And you could also argue in terms of if you're in a tribe um, and you're going to fight another tribe, then, then you're going to defend. Um, the people who are in your tribe, you know, whether that be your immediate family, whether that be all those years um, in evolutionary history, you know, you've got your tribe, they've got their tribe, uh, and you bond to the people that you're with. So there's different types of love experience with different people, I guess. But I, I would say predominantly um, the, the, the important thing is, is, is along the lines of, say, procreation and keeping the species alive. Because could you imagine if you didn't have any... If people didn't have any feelings for anybody else, didn't weren't attracted to anybody else, anything like that. Um, I, I guess the argument you could make is that you know, obviously, um, you know, um, you, you could make the argument that that's not the only um, love we experience and you know, love for for siblings, for children, for parents, and it's a different type of love. But I, I would say predominantly um, from evolutionary history, um, we wouldn't be. If that wasn't the case, Anna, you know, we, yeah. we wouldn't be if obviously people didn't get that bond and pair bond, then we, yeah. we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. Um, we'd sort of, um, you, you know, people get together and then sort of have children and, and the species continues. Yeah. Now, I think that it is, um, you know, it's just making me think of like, like I said, that love is so commercialized and when, we mm. say love is commercialized, so is sex. Sex is commercialized, yeah. and, and they both Absolutely. they both yeah. work hand in hand. Well, I mean, you don't have to be in love to have sex, but <laughs> the, the idea of procreation there is, an, there is an attraction there, and you know, for the most part, whatever that attraction is, different different people, but but there is some sort of spark there. You would think mm. to a point in in most instances, but absolutely, and I think that. Yeah, you're right, exactly, you know, that sort of primal drive. And you see it a lot in, say, advertisements um, that, for example, if you look at, say, 
fragrance commercials, like you know, these like sex and, and, and in, in those commercials because um, smell is the only um, well that goes directly to the limbic system. The other ones are processed before they hit the limbic system, but that's not a secret of another day. And, and, and when you connect the two together, so okay, smell bang to the limbic system. Um, and they use obviously, you know, um, people who are in the eyes of corporation attractive and, and sex. And you, you watch any, 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 any sort of commercial on, on, on sort of uh, fragrance, and you'll see they use a lot of innuendo. And, and, and yeah, because the sort of when the person then goes to the store and they smell the fragrance. It goes straight to the limbic system that creates an anchor or an uh, association, and then bang. I suppose for the listeners and people who watch, it's a bit like, say, many years ago, um, for example, um, you, know, you had the commercial, the, I can't remember what it was now, it was Pepsi or Diet Coke, I don't recall now. Um, but anyway, it was like the, the, the sort of, they'd play like the raunchy music, and they'd, they'd hoist the window cleaner. And all the all the girls are drooling over him, and they sort of all that amalgamation of girls drooling over this window cleaner, the perfect sort of you know um, body type thing, and, and and then they repeat eleven o'clock, eleven o'clock, eleven o'clock, and that's what we call an anchor, an association. So the idea is they're trying to link the two together. So when you see um, the the can, so I was going to show you my my, my green juice here. So if, I, <laughs> if I told you it was in here, the, the green. Um, if I told you the ingredients of, say, for example, you know, that, that drink, you know, sugar and chemicals, you probably wouldn't buy it, but the feeling that comes with that, and that's a really strong primal drive, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's what I guess the answer to your question really is why they would use that, because it's a very strong drive. Mm, very, um, very motivating, yeah. I, 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 can see, I can see the appeal for that. Yeah, um, because people sort of, you know, go out of their way to look a certain way. And, to appeal to the to the um, to, to, to to other people, and if you wear this, it'll make you look this, and if you do this, and you know, so it all goes that you know, all goes down to our ability yeah. um, to, to sort of attract someone, and and so on and so forth, and they use that as a selling point, absolutely. Mm, and I mean, like I I would say that that is a very problematic thing, the whole commercialism. I think it brings a whole yeah. lot of problems of its own. <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah, I think that we've covered all three emotions now, and I will cover them in more details uh, from a point of st a story perspective. Uh, so thanks, Jimmy, for sharing more of an academic perspective on these yeah. uh, emotions. Yeah, well, at least, you know, my perspective on, on you know, the, the reading I've done over the years and in, in simplicity, in a, in a sort of uh, nutshell, so to speak, in the time that we have. And, you know, certainly people can, you know, want to know more, they can... Drop me an email, and um, or you know, drop me an email. I'm more than happy to forward them some information. They can do their own, make their own mind up. Of course, yeah. Do you have any like maybe book recommendations if anyone's interested um, in in the subjects? Um, yeah, I've wrote a, like a, a guide. I've wrote a, an e-manual on emotional intelligence, and, and that sort of goes into it in more detail. Um, I've written obviously a lot of things, but there's a lot of work out there. I think what's really useful. I, I, I like the work of Paul Ekman. Um, I think it's really good. You know, the work of Paul Ekman is, is really good, really interesting, really fascinating. Um, but I, you know, I, you know, I think for me, it's just sort of um, going out there and sort of exploring and and seeing what's out there, and reading and reading research papers, and just you, you make your own mind up in the end mm. and going forward. And yeah, absolutely. So 
Yeah. So Jimmy, um, I would love it if you could share with us uh, an experience from maybe from your own life on how one of these emotions was something you had to feel to get to the next part of your life. Because I know like we always talk about overcoming emotions, but sometimes I think we just have to feel what we need to feel. Mm, absolutely. Um, pretty much every day, really. Um, you know, we tap into it and, and feel and think and be really aware. And um, so this sort of, you know, this is a broad spectrum, by the way. Um, this could cover a broad spectrum, but it could be anything between sort of taking action. So, you know, maybe fear-based action or it could be. But based on the ones that we've talked about, um, I do a lot of music. I, I have a, you know, a hobby and I was inspired to go back and, and do some tunes. I was inspired to, to do that um, because I felt that um, it was an opportunity to express what I felt. So that was a, like a driving force to do. And um, so I'd, I'd sort of, you know, go for a walk in the countryside or go for a walk at the beach or whatever and, and sort of you get a feeling. And I was kind of inspired by these feelings to sort of take action and do my own tunes and do some recordings, nautic audios too. So. Um, academia for me um i was inspired by anger really frustration thinking okay um i sort of felt hard done by my life. i didn't get the chance uh, in my teens to, to do um and until later on it's sort of the, the anger was a fuel that burned the fire and um as a presenter a speaker um which i've you know people talk about me as a speaker and i Pre-COVID, I sort of travelled the world and spoke in many, many countries. I suppose one of the driving forces was, Hannah, when someone said to me, um, for example, you'll never make it as a speaker, uh, who was really, really well trained. And, and, and I said, wow, they're more of an introverted character, not really an extroverted character, but that's not so you can't make it as a speaker. Um, and, and, and I felt, okay, this has put fuel in the fire. You told me I can't do something, I'm pretty wrong. So it was quite ironic, really, where I felt. And then sort of, you know, 1,000 talks later, um, I've done okay, if not even more. So, you know, there is that, even radio, I did some radio course one time and, 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 and the person who did the training said, well, you know, you don't articulate yourself well enough to be on radio. And ironically, we took the show we we're doing to number one and I've had a successful career in broadcasting. So there is that, you know. Um, you know, books as well, I released my first book and I did that um, because I had this sort of sadness because... I felt for me, um, you know, people go through things and I felt I wanted to sort of write the book because I felt sad that we live in a world you could make a point that, you know, you, you don't often get um, encouragement unless you sort of, you know, in certain environments, but certainly environments that I've been in, it wasn't a great deal of encouragement coming through and that sort of stuff. So it kind of made me sad and I felt that, you know, if I can write this book and maybe give people um some some hope that you can do it um you know you can be the best you can be i'm not saying you're going to sort of be like a motivational speaker yeah um, you know uh i'm just saying just be the best you can be whatever that is yeah i love all of that and uh just for the listeners what is the name of your book and where can we get it uh, yeah i mean i've written a number of um books i mean there's the excel series excel at sport and business on amazon it's available all in your retailers um, there's also Change Your Life NLP as well. That's on, on, on Amazon too. And there's like many manuals, CBT, EMD. They're all resource manuals I've written, uh, my influence as well um, too. So they're all on, on, on the leading retailers. 
just need to research your name and we'll find all your books. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty inspiring, uh, Jimmy. And I think a lot of people can relate to what you just said um, in the sense of being told that we can't do something or we're not good enough to do something. Yeah, and, sure. you know, you, we can choose to believe them or we could choose to challenge them. And yeah. I think when we choose to challenge them, we are doing uh, ourselves a great favour in, in I think so. Them. I think so, for sure. And I think after a while, too, I think you start the wisdom to say, okay, um, if I stop and if I sort of stop and, and sort of everyone that says something and I sort of stop and, and challenge everybody, it can be really exhausting, too. And I think that, um, yeah, it's a point of challenge, but also the point of saying, you know what, let's look at who's saying who say what? Exactly. So, and, 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 you know, sometimes people um, are in a position where they might offer us, you know, critique and we take on what we will. But more often than not, I think people who sort of like, you know, say and put limitations, their own projection anyway, mm. of how they see the world and just projecting their own forces. It's about them more than us. Yeah, that is uh, so true because I know, like, for me growing up, I had a lot of things told to me about like what I could or couldn't do. And I had a lot of limitations put on me. And you're mm -hmm. right to say that to always challenge people is tiring. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can reach that point where you, I, I know I have in the past reached that point where I almost co completely given up on any direction in my life. Yeah. So, you know, we, I mean, it's a lot more complex than saying, let's just challenge them. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes they're going to add fuel to the fire, but, equally you get to the point where you think okay um it's okay you know it's it's, it's, it's their call um i know where i'm going and, mm. and 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 that's the sort of important thing just just you know stay focused um on where you're going and and um have a clear vision and be flexible you know it's key as well and i think flexibility so you might have like a 10-year plan but you get um, you know, four or five months down the line, and, and it's not making it's not. I'm saying not making you happy, but if you don't, if you sense it's not for you, then mm. then it's okay to pursue something else and not see it as a failure. It's just, it's just, you know. I think that's a really powerful statement to make. That if you know, if you're feeling like something is not from you for you, it's okay to walk away from it. I think that's that's this powerful yeah. message um, that people might need to hear. Uh, yeah, and they can make out of it what they will, and, and there'll be a lot of humanistic saying, "Well, I'm not a quitter, and I never give up." And absolutely, you know, I completely agree uh, with, with with that to a point. Um, but if you're doing something to prove something to somebody else, and it's not intrinsic for you, like they were the driver. People telling me I couldn't do something was it was a spark um, that sort of you know kept the bonfire going to mm -hmm. a point, but it, it wasn't. My vision, I had a bigger goal mm. uh, beyond that. My goal was bigger than that. It wasn't, wasn't about proving to them or anybody. My goal to write a book was to help as many people as possible. But yeah, so the point being is that for sure, I think it's okay. But meaning is a big thing. If it gives you meaning, then, you, then, then you're okay. If it's sort of not for you, then I think it's okay to move on to. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it does take a while to figure out what is for you and what isn't. But let's get back to um, round, rounding off um, our topics of feelings because I feel like we can talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. goal setting forever. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so we are living in this in this time of 
the the coronavirus and you know it's like it's it's a pandemic and people's mm -hmm. emotions are all over the place what what do you think um is a good way to to channel emotions in this time yeah i mean it's a difficult time it really is and, and it's a very challenging time for a lot of people um for most people obviously i think the challenge is how one we don't know the duration how long it's going to go for um we don't really have a pathway in terms of you know uh, what's the pathway out of it and as human beings we we need to sort of we need to sort of know the duration um we need a pathway and we need a clear outcome and if we haven't got any of those and there's a lot of uncertainty we don't really fare very well it's kind of you know we, um, for example so you know you might be walking down the street and you hear someone cough and you get startled or you might sort of you know um think okay there's an announcement we're going to do this we're going to do that so um so yeah it's not easy from 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 my perspective but i think the key thing is the person getting the right help so they might need clinical help um you know that might be the way forward for them because these adverse events can spark um you know uh reactions and now gene environment correlation but as a general rule what i do um with some of my clients um, all things being well and certainly for the listeners that don't this is not a substitute for clinical health it's just a bit of a you know education in terms of what i do i tell them to recognize what they feel to be really self-aware and when you recognize it if you write it down so for example you write down sadness uh, anger and that kind of externalizes it so the first thing is recognize then once you've done that is accept it i don't mean resign yourself great i'm angry i'm sad i mean not acquiescence it's accepting is there for a reason it's okay to feel that way because once you accept it you're not suppressing it suppressing it in all literature suppressing it's bad you don't want to suppress the emotion it's not good um, to suppress it um, all, all the information. so you accept it's there and then i get people to investigate it it's okay almost like an avatar you can you know sitting in front of you um talk to it like someone knocking on the door and that's just really weird but investigate it what's it telling me what do i what what's this feeling telling me uh, what's my perception what's my appraisal of the situation so i'm feeling sad um what are my thoughts around this sadness what are my thoughts around the anger and then you can sort of be really self-aware uh once you've done that we can sort of plan our central perception like push it away turn the sounds down the colors down a bit, bit hypnotic really doing that so it's a lessening intensity and then we can look at new ways of seeing it how else can i see it and that's not you know um in a condescending way it's like maybe reframing even to more neutral and it could be that you know you draw a list and and you write down all the things you can do the things you can't do what's in your control what's not in your control what are the things you can do and you try and focus on the things you can do and that are in your control and things you can't do and are beyond your control then you, you obviously can put them to one side um mm. and, and that's sort of you know a process i sort of use with the people i work with and uh, you know not necessarily you know we're going to wake up and say great wonderful you know people you know suffering a lot various uh, things you know be it um obviously you know it's 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 tough going you know people like you know there's a job business um people getting ill in their family they might be able to there's all these things that are going on and 
Mm. Um, but that's just my sort of thoughts on things and what people lose entirely up to them. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it's okay, I've got what I need to know and um, I can comply, I can do whatever I need to do and, 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 and that's enough for me. I'm going to direct my attention somewhere else mm. uh, and, and go from there. Uh, and obviously it's not a substitute for someone getting clinical help if they're really suffering, but it's a bit of an ID. So it's being really aware, uh, accepting that's okay to feel that way um, and just investigating and thinking, okay, what's it telling me? Mm. Um, you know, what's, what's happening? Um, and how else can I see it and what, what, what can I do? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's a, good, it's a good point to make that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So, um, yeah, yeah. Now that, that's, that's a good uh, note to take. And a lot of great, uh, um, great suggestions in there as well. Um, I, I do have my own coping mechanisms as well and a lot of the things I got from um, I'm, I'm actually in therapy myself and a lot of the things I get from therapy are quite similar to what you've said here as well so yeah so so they are like uh, things that therapists are using but like like Jimmy says if you need to get help get help that's really important yeah absolutely for sure and, and that's, that's that's a really important message for me is that um, you know, just just go through the proper channels, and and, and you know, obviously wherever they are in the world, and mm. there might be like lines they can call. So, for example, in the UK, you've got Samaritans and, and many other things. And so, mm. there are things out there, absolutely. Well, Jamie, again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I think um, I really got a lot out of it, and I'm sure the listeners did as well. There's a lot to take in, a lot lot to think about, and like Jimmy said. Uh, do your own research as well. Make your own decisions. That's really important too. Um, but yeah, next next episode, I'm going to be starting to dwell into these emotions one by one on a story-based uh, term. So I'm really excited for that. So do tune in to the next episode. And Jimmy, thank you again for joining thank us. Thank you, Hannah. Take care. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you for listening as well. <laughs> Great. And yeah, see you all next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. It's been great having you join me today. If you liked my content, please do share it with a friend you think would find it interesting and subscribe to the show as well. I would love to have you listening in to many episodes to come. You can find me on the socials. I'm on Facebook as Refreshingly Human and Instagram as Hannah Pillow. See you next time.